How's it going, everybody? Oh, I'm sorry. How's it going, everybody? Well, Ryan, go ahead and bring up the, the stream feed for me. And I just want to say hi. Welcome back to another one of our faithful dialogues. My name is Austin. I am with Apostles Attic. I co-founded it with my wife, Sky. It's a Christ-centered clothing line that we'll be using for our raffle. Go ahead and check it out at ApostlesAttic.com. And I'm with my good friend, Ryan. Hey everybody, my name is Ryan and I do AIIW. You can find my stuff over at AIIW.org. Recently been streaming some Modern Warfare 2 uh, to TikTok, uh, so come check that out if you're over on TikTok. You can find me at As It Is Written. So thanks for joining us today for our another one of our faithful dialogues. So that's what we're doing here today. We're having a faithful dialogue, trying to spread awareness, spread knowledge about God and Jesus and how you can be saved. So thank you for joining us. Looks like we are up and running over at uh, the five different uh, sites that we are streaming to over on Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, and Kick as well. So I'm streaming to Kick now? Mm-hmm. Yep. Let's go. Kick. Yeah. We came for you. Let's go. <laughs> so all right, all right, yeah. Looking so good, let's hopefully. Let's go get started. Uh you as Ryan was mentioning how you go, you get saved. And if you've been watching our previous episodes, you might have caught that message, but maybe you didn't. Maybe this is the first time that you are tuning in, and I'm just gonna let you know that you are saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what that basically means is the the god that created absolutely everything stepped into his creation and that person was jesus christ he intentionally laid his life down as a sacrifice to pay for our sins as a substitutionary atonement um should we have faith in him and he rose three days later he appeared to a multitude of people and all that testimony can be found in the new testament in any of the gospels which are basically a testimony of jesus christ being the jewish messiah which is the promised savior that would come to redeem basically the world and he came he performed all the miracles that were hallmark of a messiah and he he said if you don't believe in me at least believe in the the things that i do because the <laughs> father testifies of what i do right and so it's um it's a really cool story we're going to be covering today all about jesus so yeah if you um some of those bullet points again um Jesus is God. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose three days later. And if you put your faith in those kind of and those uh, bullet points, you will have um, not in the bullet points. If you if you understand what I'm saying here, that that Jesus is the Messiah, that He died on the cross for your sins and He rose three days later. If you put your faith in in Him, that you will have eternal life and you will go to heaven. Obviously, this uh, this physical body is going to perish, and we all know that. We all have loved ones that we we see passing away, even even Christians. But what we mean is when you pass away your eternal soul is going to go to one of two places either in the presence of god or the absence of god and you would know exactly what those places are called and that is the gospel message and yep. we are and then ryan has another message for us one that he told me um he said he found it out a little bit later in church and then when i found it out i was completely blown away that i had this kind of um, responsibility but uh ryan do you know what i'm talking about Yes, so uh, Austin's referring to a couple years back, I was listening to a Bible teacher, his name is Chuck Missler, I'm very appreciative of him, and, oh, that's the wrong one, I'm very appreciative of him and what, uh, and the faithfulness that he had to, uh, oh, that's why we're, okay, 
to teach the Bible. Um, and uh, so he, what he did is he read a few different verses and uh, radically changed the way that I understood my role as a Christian. And so, you know, you get told that you have responsibilities and you should go out and you should, you should make share. Disciples. Yeah. You should share the gospel and make disciples and all that. And, and the great commission, but in my brain, it just didn't click without having a, a specific title to it, right? Like Christian just wasn't enough. Everybody that I knew and everybody in church is a Christian, but you know, the specific title of priest actually changed the way that I viewed myself and what my responsibilities were to the people around me. So we have Revelation 1-6 up on the screen, and it says, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So what that is saying is uh, John got a revelation from uh, Jesus Christ himself, of Jesus Christ, both from and of, and what he did in, the, in this first chapter, he's talking about things that already exist. And so when he says, and has made us kings, he's talking about all believers, his brothers and sisters in Christ, which is everyone that is a Christian. And we've been made both a king and priests. And so uh, being a king, that has its own implications. But being a priest, what that means directly is that it's my responsibility to minister to the people that are around me in my community and so i took minister so minister is to to go out and it's like it's like providing first aid but for your soul okay ah. so like it would be you you can it, you can add minister first aid going out and doing ministry or ministry work in a christian sense is almost like first aid for your soul you're going out and you are you are talking about Jesus Christ. You're trying to to explain to people that they can have salvation, that they can have assurance that they'll be in heaven forever with Jesus Christ if they put their faith and their trust in Him. That's the you know basically the most basic fundamental version of ministry. Now there's specific ministries inside of a church that you can do. You know at our at the church that I go to, uh, there's a parking. They call it a ministry where you literally just go out and you direct people around the parking lot so that people get out more efficiently. Uh, you know, that might not sound like a ministry, but what you're doing is you're helping people come and gather and learn about Christ, no matter how you're doing that. And so, kind of to wrap that all up, uh, God has made us kings and priests, and uh, that role of priest means that it's your job to go out into the community and to minister to those that are around you if you're a Christian. And so... I didn't know that, and so I wasn't taking that seriously. I didn't do that the ways that I probably should have been doing it for literally 28 years. Yeah, it's literally an office. Uh, you're the same level as that guy walking around uh, in black wearing the little collar. We have the same role and the same office that he claims, okay? If he claims that he's higher than you, he's not. He has the exact same role and the exact same level of you in the church, uh, in the church body, as far as mm -hmm. us Christians and us believers, he we're not saying like he didn't work hard in that church and, you know, earn his position and all that kind of stuff like that. We're just kind of saying in the eyes of Jesus and the body of the believers, we're all on equal footing is kind of what Ryan's saying there. Not that yeah. not to minimize people who have, are, are working or putting themselves, you know, into the church and stuff like that. Certainly, I don't want to minimize anyone. Um, anyone that says that they're a priest and you're laity, they're completely wrong. 
and they are trying to uh, subvert the authority that you have in Christ and put themselves over you, I think that's an they issue. Be teaching you about your authority in Christ, mm -hmm. honestly. That yes. We are all brothers in Christ. That's what um, and there are different levels of authority <laughs> over the church body here on earth. So I do believe that pastors have an authority over their specific church, the the people that are gathered around them and learning from them. How they govern but it and no, stuff. Yes, but that's not an authority over their salvation. It's an authority over earthly governance. You know, we're a big, we're a large group of people. There's going to be problems between members. There's going to be things that need to be decided. I believe that a pastor can have the authority to do those things here on earth. But if I need to go to God, I can go directly to God through my intermediary, Jesus Christ. He's the one person in between me and him. And so traditionally, a priest is seen as someone who helps you to intermediate between God and man. And so that's the difference between Christianity and other forms of priesthood is yeah. in Christianity, every single believer, every Christian is a priest. And so we have that direct access to God through our high priest, Jesus Christ. But not to be, yeah, I was going to say, um, it's interesting because like in a, in a Catholic sense, you'd almost plug it in and say like, we're, um, then you're putting yourself in between, um, God and man. Right. And it's mm -hmm. like, no, cause like, uh, ultimately the high priest is jesus and there is no other person between god and man other than jesus because that's how god wants it to be right yep. and so it's um in in some in some denominations like you know catholics and stuff like priests are kind of like how you get to god almost would you say that would you kind of say like yes i, I understand Catholicism so, less than you do yeah so specifically in catholicism the priest is known as an altar Christu. So at certain points in, uh, I'm getting there, and at certain points in the Mass, he becomes another Christ, okay? So the priest becomes Christ in the Mass, and the body, and if they use it, the, the, the wine, the, the bread and the wine, become the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So there's multiple ways that they're committing heresy within that one ceremony of the Mass, where literally the priest is capable of taking on the the office, the position, and in some senses actually becoming Christ, ministering to you. And that's where they become heretical, okay? There's only one Jesus Christ, and he only did that sacrifice one time. And that's what the I, Bible I, says. I actually have found, uh, so I was at work, and um, I can't, I think it was Ephesians or, or maybe even Hebrews, I can't remember. I was, uh, I was joking. I'm gonna say this in a joking way. I like sped run the New Testament. Like I, I put on. I went to Blue Letter Bible. Shout out to Blue Letter Bible. They were really awesome. You can listen to audio Bible in any translation that you want to. And so I put it on NLT. Um, I, I started at um, First Colossians or Corinthians. Right okay. after, right after, um, basically all where the epistles start. Right, and mm -hmm. I just went. And there, there's a, there's at least three times in different sections where it's it's saying or maybe just two times but there's different points where he says christ was sacrificed once and if you continue to act like you're sacrificing again or like if you're basically oh, it was referring to when a believer starts to go back to the world then you're 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 making the son of man having to be crucified again or something mm -hmm. like that i can't remember what he was saying but he was basically saying it's a very bad thing to have to sacrifice jesus more than once because he was only sacrificed one time yeah so like it, it they're they're really 
the Bible itself, scripture itself is basically saying, look, it's, it happened once. And like, if you make it happen again, it's like the connotation there is very negative. It's very negative. Mm -hmm. So it's well, and, and, and specifically the problem with Catholicism is they start redefining words. Okay. So what they would say is that there, it was a one-time sacrifice on the cross. We are representing that sacrifice. We're not re-sacrificing him. We're representing it. And so they just use fancy words and language to try to absolve themselves of the sins that they're committing. Okay. So yeah. the reality is that they are re-sacrificing God. Like if his body has to re-show up, his body's physically there then he's being sacrificed again in that moment. Like, a body doesn't just get to that state. You know, do you see what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't just appear in that yeah. state. If that could be how Jesus was sacrificed in the first place, he would have done it like that rather than having to go through a whole day's worth of torture and pain. So that one thing had to happen that one time, and we are not representing it later on. What we're doing in reality is we are symbolically remembering the sacrifice that Jesus Christ did or that, that he made but when we take the Lord's Supper, when we take communion. And so it's not that we uh, are actually eating his so then body. How do we get the body and blood? Of, uh, so when Christ said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. What do you, how do you yes. interpret? I know how I interpret this, but how <laughs> do you interpret um, um, receiving or eating and drinking his blood? Right. Um, yeah. How do you take Go for it. So uh, that's it's all it's all symbolic. What we're supposed to do is we are symbolically supposed to eat and drink of his body and his blood. Um, and, and that is a picture of what he did. What we need to do in order to be saved is we need to profess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that he rose from the dead. There's and I think nothing that's how else. we eat the flesh and that's how we drink the blood is yeah. when we put our faith in Christ, we are, we are spiritually eating his flesh and spiritually drinking his blood. And that's how I've interpreted that mm -hmm. text. Um, yep. I don't think, cause then you're saying you're only saved by the Lord's supper at that point. You know what I mean? So that, like, that is one of the things that a Catholic would say is that the mass as a sacrament plays a part in your salvation. Yes. God. That's part of the claim that they make. So mass is part of your okay. salvation. Marriage is part of your salvation. Uh, all sorts of the other seven of them, I believe. One, uh, two of them are, are, are counter to each other. So you can't get the, the sacrament of marriage and the sacrament of priestly orders. Because as a priest in the Catholic Church, you can't get married. Which is also another unbiblical thing that they've they've saddled their priests with and that leads to a lot of problems the fact that the priests aren't married means that there's a lot of pent up desire in that Angst. church that yeah. then gets manifested as horribly evil vile things like pedophilia and, and those horrible things or, that or, that happen in, in all churches and yep. other stuff right and so and, it's... and this happens in all churches i'm not saying that the catholic church is even specifically any worse but, no, we'll take some blame too. We'll take equal blame. There's there's all that stuff happening in the Christian church too. So we're not gonna go and say anything. The uh the other difference though is those people aren't above me in the in in anything. Okay. So if a pastor, if my pastor, I don't think he would, I don't think he's the type, but he could, he's a sinful human being like anybody else. But we're if my pastor were were to everything. be caught in some heinous sin, that doesn't affect my faith. Okay. So, so Catholics always try to throw that back at us. Like when we say that there's horrible pedophiles in their church, 
they try to throw it back that there's horrible pedophiles in ours. And I'm like, yes, and they should be absolutely prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. I would say they need to be executed if you're doing stuff to little kids, right? The Lord like, said many I would say that about, uh, but I would say that about my own pastor, okay? I would say that about my own pastor who they see, uh, who they think I see as my own pope, okay? I would say that about him. Oh, really? I would throw, I, I, if, yeah. That's how they. That's how. They, that's how a lot of them no, see he, it. He's the guy that prepared our Sunday message, so we can go yeah. and learn and hear about God's word. That's uh, we don't look at him as a pope. He's our brother. Like, but that's that's. that's, that's we look at him. That it, it. Never mind. But yeah, it, you you're right. It does. He he's more of a brother. But so you know that that's I can I'm totally fine saying that I want justice to be done to anybody that does anything to little children. That's horrifyingly evil. But that doesn't affect my faith because that person isn't above me. That person didn't put their name on my baptism, right? Like, I'm not baptized, right? So, like, there was a oh. story a couple months or, like, a year or two back. There was a priest who got one word wrong. He said one single word incorrectly in his baptismal ceremony as a Catholic priest. And so they literally invalidated the thousands of baptisms he had performed over two decades. And so now there's all these people who need to be baptized again in the Catholic Church or needed to. They've probably rectified that by now. But there's all these people who, because he messed up one single word, they're now not saved the way they thought they were. It's absolutely insane. Right? So they, like, they put a lot of emphasis on that one person and that one person performing that ceremony properly could that person can that priest perform that ceremony properly if they're also a pedophile at the same time like you know those sorts of questions get brought up when you're a catholic and you have all of these crazy unbiblical beliefs okay whereas if you look in the new testament there is no prescription for how to perform a baptism okay there is no i stumbled upon um uh, sorry, I'm gonna tangent you. Keep going. No, it's okay. I'm already lost, so you you gotta go now. <laughs> oh, I was gonna say I stumbled upon this uh this pocket of Catholics who actually really value scripture and are trying to be biblical. So we can't. It's not like there's a there's a lot of Catholics that really are trying to do what they're supposed to do. And, so like, it, it, I I understand that there are individuals that want to do the right thing. The problem is it is. In my opinion, it's completely impossible while still calling yourself a self a Catholic and being in that church. It's so wrong. If you're trying to be biblical, you go go read the New Testament and go find where the Pope exists. Read Romans. Go read, go find Romans. Like go find where any of the things that 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 the Catholics do, where there's a superstructure above you, just find where any of that exists in the New Testament. It doesn't. Okay. And so they want to say that their belief system in Catholicism supersedes the Bible. Even if they're even if they're trying to more faithfully believe in the Bible, if they're a Catholic, they believe that equal to the Bible are the traditions of their church. You cannot have it both you, you can't have it both ways. There's there is always one thing that is is over the other. So either the traditions of your church are below the Bible or the traditions of your church are above the Bible. And Catholicism teaches that the traditions of their church are above the Bible because their Bible created the church, or their church created the Bible. And yeah, so, and... like, e even if there is a Catholic that's trying to read the Bible and trying to be more faithful to it, 
if they're under that church, they can't. You can't actually. You can't. It's like trying to serve two masters. You can't Dude, serve Kat, two put masters. Put some comments in the comments. Hit us in the chat box. All oh, right. please do. I'll, yeah. I'll go. I'll go hard. Like, I, I love. I love Catholics. I don't think you're evil people. Yeah, we any, love you guys. Like, we seriously love you. Don't don't like we. I, I yeah. don't want that to get misconstrued. Like, seriously, but, we we have some very good Catholic friends that we love with all of our hearts. Like, and we'll, we we get into some serious, steamy or uh, theolo theological arguments, and it's great. It's great that we can have those conversations and stuff. And I uh, just I just wish our theology would come from Scripture. That's all. Yep. I just wish our theology. Well, would and, come and from uh, honestly, it's not I, like. I don't even care where your theology comes from. Like, I just wish that they would put their faith and their trust in Jesus alone. That's, Amen. That's right, what I actually. wish. Like, Amen. like honestly, because that's that's the ultimate problem is if you're a Catholic, you are not putting your faith and your trust in Jesus alone. You are putting your faith and your trust in this whole organization that's corrupt and evil and has been wicked for thousands of years. I mean, there's there's literal popes where there there was a. Uh, they called it a pornocracy. Okay, there was a pope, a pope, who had a pornocracy in his um, when he was running his administration as pope. And what that means, it was just so horribly debaucherous and pornographic, just everything going on with that pope that they had to come up with a new name. It wasn't even being it, the church wasn't even being run by like a dictator or the Pope is kind of like a king. It was being run as like, what's the most debaucherous thing we can do next? <laughs> and so they're trying what to say that that per this? like the thousands, like, uh, I don't know, a thousand AD. Um, yeah, but it, it doesn't really? matter. Like it, it doesn't matter when it happened because they're trying to say that that person laid on hands, the next Pope, and that we have the, the and that the unbroken chain. and we have an unbroken yeah. chain. Yeah, thank you. So, how can you have an unbroken chain through that guy? That guy's definitely a broken link in the chain. I'm I'm sorry. Like he he introduced some things into your church that didn't get taken out, even though you know, despite the fact that they're horribly wicked and evil. I guarantee it. There is no way you go from his rule where they were doing everything horrible, awful, vile, and wicked, and then you get rid of everything, and you're telling me you now went back to the pure teaching of the... No, you didn't. <laughs> you're stained by that. You're stained by that. Like, But a Protestant church isn't. We just... We, my church, you know, hasn't existed except for the pastor that is leading it, you know? And, and it's, so... It's rough, too, because, like, there's there's Protestant denominations being wild right now. So it's, and well, there's there's wild people in the name of Protestant Christianity. I'd, I'd say mm -hmm. I'd put that. I'll put yep. it that way. But but again, the the whole thing, just to kind of wrap it back up, Revelation one six, and has made us kings and priests. So uh, we'll get I'll get to kings as well. But priest means that I have a, a an office where I get to serve Jesus Christ without any other earthly thing getting in between me and that and and the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I can, to be doing that properly, I need to plug myself into a physical body here on earth, and I'll need to submit to the authority of that pastor while I'm there, but that doesn't mean that they have the authority over me to tell me, you know, what to do, uh, to tell me how I need to, to communicate with God. I don't know. I'm, I'm not saying that right, but yeah, so. All right, let's, let's kind of move on. I think we're beating a dead horse here at this point. I appreciate y'all okay. listening to my rant. That was just a huge awakening for me when I realized that I was a priest. 
and uh, the responsibility for that gives to people. Um, I made it a little note. I was going to say um, earlier we were talking about how there are people that were trying and all that kind of stuff. And I was going to say, like, the Bible even says, like, many will usher people into the kingdom, but they themselves uh, won't won't actually enter. Mm -hmm. and so, like, you, you have these situations where um, people who aren't faithful lead people who become faithful. And so it's, it's really that that alone is I thought was pretty interesting. So yeah. When, when, oh, oh, the shaking your faith thing. So when somebody in the Christian church or a Catholic church or somebody, um, um, there's this revelation that comes out right after they die, and you find out they've done these crazy things, and it's like, well, doesn't that shake your faith and and your leadership? And it's like, well, no, because many will usher people into mm -hmm. the kingdom, and they themselves yep. won't enter. And so we already know that from scripture. And so I just wanted to kind of point that out, and then we'll go yep. ahead and, and move on. So this week. PGI, um, PJI, um, <laughs> it's just so harder to, okay. Pacific Justice Institute didn't really have something that I wanted to cover, um, this week, and I wanted to replace it with the safe haven law. And so basically, did, I wanted uh, to talk about sorry, did you Go send ahead. me something to put up on the screen for this? Um, it's, I can send you a link really quick. Yeah, um, yeah. All right, I'm gonna send you to that really quick. Okay. All right, and so we are going to go ahead and talk about the safe haven law. And so basically, that is a law that decriminalizes or doesn't punish a mother for dropping off a baby due to an unwanted birth. And so I, I really want to encourage this and talk about this. Um, basically, uh, if you have that graphic right there, Ryan, of the woman with the, yep. the hoodie... Um, there's a safe haven baby drop-off box right here. Please do not open door unless you are in need of services. Silent alarm will activate, right? And there's even a phone number there, right there. So say this mom doesn't want to, um, she just had this baby and she doesn't want it. And for whatever reason, again, I want to encourage pe people that have had babies. Um, you got this. You totally got this. And... Um, so this person right here, they're, they're, they might give away their baby, they might drop it off in this, um, this box right here, and a silent alarm is going to activate to all the faculty inside. I don't know if this door then locks to the outside. I would hope it would, so that, like, say you drop it off, that it's not um, um, uh, open to the public for somebody to mess with it or something like that. But then if you scroll down, you can see what it looks like from the other side, and there's this picture with a plaque. That says Carmel Fire Department. Every baby gets a home. So you can understand how we feel about this. We're really passionate about this. We want to encourage women to have their babies and not abort them. And if you still don't want them, that you can drop them off. No punishment. No strings attached. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get it. You don't have to leave any information. You just put it in this box. This enclosure is heated. I imagine that there's a baby in somebody's arms within 30 seconds. I, as soon as those lights start going off or whatever, the notification is off, I imagine those people are flying out of their chair to go get that baby just to hold it in their arms, right? And I, I, I'm telling you, um, Ryan let me know that there's really just that not an issue with uh, adoption in this country with infants. So, Ryan, do you want to take it away and go ahead and let us know why that is? He yeah, so my, my understanding is there's about 18,000 babies who are born every year uh, where wow. the mother, for whatever reason, can't keep them or doesn't want to keep them. Um, and so, you know, of those 18,000, all every single one of them ends up getting adopted, except possibly in some crazy circumstances. We're talking like edge cases of edge cases. 
every single one of those is going to be adopted into a family that that wants to have them there and and so this whole idea that there is a a crisis in this country that has to do with child with, with children and and too many children being put up for adoption is just it's not the case there's a huge massive problem in the foster care system and so what uh, abortion advocates what they do is they try to conflate those two things they try to conflate infant children and toddlers and up uh, in the foster care system and so children that are in the foster care system there absolutely is a difficulty in, in finding parents to adopt them and there's a multitude of reasons for that uh, the most basic of which is that the people the children that are in foster care have additional problems uh, a lot of them just can't even be adopted in the first place because there is a, a parent that's involved that is still fighting to try to get them back so in a lot of instances there's they're not even adoptable they're just in the foster care system because that parent got like deemed CPS issues and stuff. yes it's yeah. cps issues and so the I, I my heart goes out for those children i i wish that there was something we could do to help them and, and i want to help them for sure but those those are the the children that were kept by their parents those are the children that that were kept by their parents they wanted to try to make it work and then for whatever reason that wasn't able to happen and so they're two three five ten fifteen years old you're not nobody's going to go and adopt a 15 year old like I, i'm not saying that's a good thing it's just a reality it's a horrible rotten reality of the world that we live in that unfortunately someone who's 15 years old in the foster care system they're just not someone that you can adopt because there's going to be issues and, and, and problems. At least that's how they are perceived by a lot of people. Whether that's the case individually, of course, there's plenty of individuals that come out of that system that are, are great and awesome and wonderful human beings, and there's some that don't, and, and that's, that's sad. But again, that's a separate problem from infants being adopted. An infant, there's waiting lists, multiple... For all those 18,000 babies that are born every year that, that ultimately need to get adopted, there's literally multiple families that are on lists trying to get that child. And so it's just a complete night and day difference between the foster care system and the infant newborn adoption rate, and which is just 100%. And so I know people who were going to China to go and find babies in China because there aren't babies to adopt here. And so... For anybody that for anybody that believes that that women who uh, get pregnant, uh, you know that they're gonna get that if they put their child up for adoption, they're gonna go into the foster care system. It's just a complete. That's just a complete lie. It is a it's a heinous, gross lie that was invented by people who are supporting abortion to try to convince you that you need to have an abortion rather than let that child grow up in the foster care system. When the reality is it's better for them to grow up even in the foster care system than to be dead. It, it, like, that's just the fact. I, just I the would fact. agree with you. And I was going to say, like, there are what the, 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 I would say the reality for a lot of this is, is there's women who unfortunately wanted to be a mom and just can't have babies. And they are in this line with other women who are trying to find infants because they can't themselves have babies. And then there's other situations too. And there's just people who want to start a family who can't, mm -hmm. who are so desperate, they're willing to go to China and adopt their infants because they just want a baby so bad. They just want to be a parent so bad and start mm -hmm. a family. And yep. so 
basically what you're doing if you actually go through and have this 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 child you're actually i would say you're you're giving life to your child first and foremost right and then you're gonna help another family accomplish seemingly their dreams if they couldn't be a mom and they wanted to so bad and now they're going to be able to have that opportunity man you get to meet the uh, I just, it's just crazy, like, we, we should, we should be talking about having kids, we should be talking about how, how noble that is to have a kid, mm -hmm. and if you still don't want it, it's, it's like, understandable, just understand as well that there's loving families who will line up at your door to adopt your infant, so, yeah, I think we've spent a lot of time mm -hmm. talking about this, let's go ahead and move on, so after that, I wanted to go ahead and look at some of the stuff that, you've done on your uh. streams because it's really really cool what you're doing your content is it slaps dude i Thank saw the, you. The, the, the the short you did with tim pool and i think our audience should know about it and the reason i think our audience should know about it is um when i the first time i heard the phrase uh life begins at conception i was probably 25 mm -hmm. and i agree with it now it, it's just and i agreed with it pretty e like easily upon hearing it it makes sense to me like as soon as the the sperm fertilizes the egg that it becomes something else like now it's taking yep. on a new a new nature right it is no longer a sperm it is no longer an egg it is something else and if you just leave it alone it becomes me literally me and so <laughs> it's um it, it's just crazy so basically you have this short that covers that also life begins at conception and um another very popular youtuber is basically saying that and so i just I couldn't believe that such a easy thing to understand i hadn't thought about until i was 25 years old yeah thanks to my the, the public school system mm -hmm. <laughs> well and I mean? and, so. and it's thanks to planned parenthood that's that's by design they don't want you to believe the 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 goal of abortionists is to convince you that there is muddy water when it comes to when life starts that's why they say that that's why they try to convince people that it starts with a heartbeat or it starts with brain waves or it starts with their foot being formed or whatever crazy nonsense that they come up with there's only one definition that science has of when life starts and there's only one definition that science has ever had and that's at conception and so they want to be the party of science and then disregard basic, you know, science. Crazy is <laughs> miscarriages are already a, like a travesty. It's it's so mm -hmm. unfortunate when that happens. Oh, that yeah. You I, go talk to a woman we be, like we should be preventing and using science to prevent miscarriages. Mm -hmm. Why are we aborting? Yep. Oh, my gosh. Sorry, I know. Okay, so yeah, no, let's, let's go ahead. And I, watch, uh... <laughs> it's so funny. I that's that's exactly how I was back in high school. Like that's what those are the things that I was saying. Like those exact words. So it's funny to see you like come coming around to that, which is awesome. Um, yeah, dude, I'm trying, man. I was no, no, no. You're I, good. I, you're good. By the way, I was full on. Like I did. Like I, I I'm 28 next month. Mm -hmm. I'm, I've been a Christian for three years, and a lot of these like thought processes i hadn't even just entertained until like becoming a christian and just thinking hey like um maybe abortion is wrong and actually thinking about it where i was so scared to touch that subject mm -hmm. because i was a man yeah and, and so it's like now that i'm a christian i have a higher responsibility i have a responsibility yep. to jesus christ and, re and to re re represent him off 
in an authentic way, in a genuine, sincere way. And so the heart of God is that he created life and he wants to sustain and protect that life, not to kill it ever. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Have, so you, uh, have you seen the Bible verse? Have you seen the Bible verse where, uh, where did he knit us together? Right. Where did God knit us together? Do you know the answer to that? So beautiful. No, I don't. But I just know that I have heard that, that he yeah. formed us in the womb. That yes. In the womb. He formed, he knit us together in, in our mother's womb. Right. Like, so that means at some point I met God when he was forming me in my mother's womb. And it's, ah, I, it's I don't, I, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say you met him necessarily that I don't know if that's heretical or not, but it might be verging on it. So I just want to, you're good. I know where your heart was. Your heart's totally in the right place for sure. Yeah, but uh, yeah. I don't want to say that, you know, we met him in, in our mother's womb. That wasn't quite in evidence there. So, so when, when just he for says, anybody watching, when he says I, I, um, he's knitting us together, is he like breathing out his breath? Is he using his hands? What do you think? And this is totally so, just a thought. Like, um, right? It's not like a biblical thing. He's using all of the natural processes that he created. Right. So oh. when it's talking, when he says knitting, he's he's talking about something that you would associate with your mother. OK, so especially in that culture, every mom, every every woman was a homemaker. Every woman's responsibility was to mend and to make a certain amount of the clothing that you would wear. And so when it's saying that because he's didn't produce clothing in society, so your mom had to make it. I mean, right? there wasn't a Nike factory. There wasn't like a, <laughs> the, you know, the Gap didn't exist, right? They, they weren't going to Gap Jerusalem to get their winter coats. Like, so they, they, they had to make literally everything or somebody that they knew had to make basically everything. And so uh, when it's saying knit together in your mother's womb, it's it, it, he's talking about the natural processes that your mother does. But he's the one that set them up. He's the one that created that process. He's the one that created your mother, right? And so he, he's the one that created that DNA that replicates so perfectly in that situation. And so yeah. that's what it's trying to say. But it, but I believe that it's using knit together as kind of a – because, you know, in like you know how in Spanish there's feminine and masculine uses of the language – I would imagine a, if that's you know. the case in Hebrew, knit together would be more of a feminine idea or concept. Uh, and so we actually see God being given uh, feminine traits uh, in certain places in the Bible. So it says that I God covers us under my wings like a mother collected mm -hmm. her, her chicks like or he's like telling Israel like mm -hmm. many times I tried like a hen to collect you under my wings like a chicken collects her hens. But no. you do not want me. Yeah, like, yeah, it's funny. No, that doesn't make God a mother. We're not saying you shouldn't ever say the words mother God. Mother God now from those texts. And, and yeah, I, there's already a whole, like, theology about yeah. that that's heretical. So that's why I just want, you know, again, I want to head off at the pass anybody misinterpreting what we're saying, right? Like, yeah. but there are places where it talks about God having feminine characteristics and, and, and that's that's okay you know everybody has feminine characteristics to some extent it's to, it's to convey something that is like more understandable from a human perspective because mm -hmm. it's, it's that way you can understand it more personally like the, so my heart if when he was talking to israel it's like my heart is the same way a chicken is towards its like chicks like it seeks to protect it with its wings and stuff that's how i felt about you and it's not saying like i'm a woman right <laughs> so yeah I well um 
You, you know uh, what's funny? We're talking about chickens, and we're about to play a clip from Tim Pool. I, I watch a lot of his content, and he's always talking about the noble rooster. <laughs> and that? so uh, everybody says, are you chicken? Or, what are you, chicken? Like, you're scared, and, like, you're going to run away. But uh, if you look at roosters, they're actually a very noble beast. So uh, when the, like, gr group of chickens are being attacked the rooster will get up real big and make a bunch of noise and stand there and die to the predator that's coming in attacking him if it gives the hens an extra 10 seconds to run away back to the safety of the coop. It'll just charge the pit bull and, and give him some time. Wow. Exactly, yeah. So he he's always talking about the noble rooster. <laughs> so I just found it funny uh, that that would come up in conjunction with him. So uh, in this clip we're about to play, it's Tim Poole. And he is explaining as a non-Christian, so he's, he describes himself as kind of more of a, uh, a theist or a deist, so he believes that God exists, but has not put his faith and his trust in Jesus Christ and the completed work that he did on the cross. Hey, he's, once he's, he's searching for truth, you'll find Jesus. Just pray for him. Pray for Tim. Yep. Pray for, so if you're a Christian, please be praying for Tim Poole. Uh, I think he'll come around someday. He's a, he's a smart cookie. And uh, he does actually have a lot of good Christians come on his podcast from time to time. So, uh, I on his heart then. Mm -hmm. I think so. I think so. Mm -hmm. um, we'll keep on praying for him, of course. And then, uh, how do we do this? Do we have? Do you have the watch party going, Austin? Oh yeah, yeah. It's watch so, party. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Uh, we're we're still figuring out how all this works. We haven't tried to do a video that we watch through Discord. Oh. So here, give me a second. I'm gonna. Tr I need to figure out how to. You just gotta uh, put it on a screen where it's watching um, the thing. Yeah, but you have one of your screens set up for it. Okay, here we go. That's interesting. What if I pop it out? No, that doesn't work. No. Oh yeah, there we go. All right, try playing it right now. Alright, ready? Yeah. Nope. Nope, sorry. It, yeah, it just won't work. We won't be able to watch it, I don't think, so I'm just gonna go back to the main, but we can hear it. There is, um, didn't you have a scene where you could play, um, a display capture with <sighs> both of us on it, like the internet? Uh, yeah, it, it's not, it's, so, the way OBS works, that's not a, uh, that scene is a Chrome tab. This is a Discord thing, so I can try. I can try to find. It. If you want to give me two seconds, I can yeah. try to find it. Uh, it says it's a pop out. Let me see if I can. Man, let's just play the audio. You ready? Yep. All right. All right. All right. And three, two, one. Logical, scientific, or even moral basis to argue that life does not begin at conception. They can make every argument in the world they want. That's but Tim Pool. Literally begins at conception. This is when a unique set of DNA is created. Then they make, they make these arguments about how, like, oh, so when a woman has a miscarriage or whatever, it's it's an abortion. No one said that. Crime requires intent, and then there is the complications of competing interests, competing rights, and that's why I'm like, it's not so simple to say ban abortion outright. You can't just be like California says you can and Texas says you can't. We cannot allow states to determine when, what is a human and what is not. I agree with Tim when he says that life begins at conception. What I don't agree with is that the state could even define life as starting at any other point, and then 
in those rare circumstances when competing interests pop up, they should be treated equally, and the mother should never at any moment have the right to murder her child. All right, let's see. You're still not popping back up. Uh, there we go. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. What is going on? Jeez. You just got to move me over. All right. So after this, we are going to cover the Gospel of John. And so basically, earlier when we were saying that you were saved by faith through um, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, the story of God in the person of Jesus Christ um, is documented through the Gospels in the New Testament. And it starts off with Matthew, then Mark, and Luke, and John. And so I, I believe uh, Mark and Luke are going to be synoptic Gospels. Like they cover all the basic points, um, whereas Matthew and John go into a little bit more of the details. And so in the Gospel of Matthew, you'll have the Beatitudes, like, blessed are the poor, for they shall um, be rich. And, and there's other, I, I don't know all the Beatitudes, but there's a lot of different stuff that will pop up in one Gospel that won't pop up in the other. And so basically the reason why that is, is when Jesus was giving them this revelation that, look, you're like nobody nobody is going to enter the kingdom unless they eat of my flesh and drink of my blood essentially um and then you find out kind of in the upper room discourse right before the night before he's crucified and stuff when he's you know the doing the, the lord's supper and he's breaking the bread and he's saying this is uh, re remember do this in remembrance of me and he breaks off the bread and this represents my body and then he passes around the the wine this represents my blood and um so yeah, so you've got all of this going on in, in the Gospels, and it's all documented, and it's basically a testimony. And so Jesus wants people to, God him, God himself wants you to know him. He wants you to know how to be saved. He wants you to know um, all, all of that, what that means, uh, what he was like when he was here on earth, what he was concerned about. And it's really interesting because this is the invisible God in a human form. And so if you ever wanted to know what God was like if he was a human, well, he, he was a human at one point, and that was Jesus. And so when I when I kind of had that thought process, it changed everything because I started to look at, some Bibles have like red letters, and those red letters are what came out of Jesus' mouth, like quotes of Jesus. And you should just, you know, peruse those. They're, it's really interesting what he was concerned about, what he cared about, and the stuff that he said reveals his heart on a lot of issues. So we're going to be covering the Gospel of John this week. And so, Brian, how you doing over there? Oh. <laughs> could could no be better. I'm on screen. I'm on screen. Could, could be better. Uh, I might have been muted for some part of it. I don't know. This this whole thing has just been a nightmare since the second half here. Um, that Discord thing really messed me up. So what, what are we trying to do right now? I'm sorry. No worries. Uh, again, guys, we're having some technical difficulties, and we're just going to try to roll right through it. Um, we are going to be covering the Gospel of John. Um, what I think we should do is leave that activity. Go ahead and leave um, the activity, and that I, should get rid of it. The problem is I popped it out. It's a whole nightmare now. Let me. I'll try something. Okay. Oh, that worked, thankfully. There we go. Okay. Hey, yo. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, sorry about that, everybody. 
Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. Discord's not the software I would choose to stream with if you're getting started. Because uh, it's hard to get video. But okay, sorry about that. We're back. Uh, I can go to the webpage now. Do you want me to bring something up? No. Okay, so we are starting in the Gospel of John. And so, basically, the Gospel of John. Actually, yeah, can you bring up just the Bible in... Um, can you do a side-by-side -side with um, NK... Uh, NLT uh, and NKJV? Or is that going to... So, it... it they won't both show up will will likely be I'll, I'll see what i can do the answer is i'll okay. see what i can do it might be okay you want nlt nkgv right. and nlt and you want john i'm assuming yeah john chapter one let's see so, how that looks actually it's gonna the, look good the apostle john was known for preaching and emphasizing the love of god he was really big on the love of god and you're and um, what I've heard on sermons about this, uh, this book is just that you're going to see that the most in this, um, in this gospel. And this was also the gospel, like, I'm sure you've heard John 3.16, and if you don't even know the verse, I'm sure you've heard John 3.16, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever should believe shall not perish but have eternal life. It's basically the gospel, right? And so that's like one of the most popular verses in the Bible, and so that's why I kind of want to start here. This is a very good beginning for a lot of people. And so in chapter one of the Gospel of John, it emphasizes or begins by emphasizing the divine nature of Jesus, the word made flesh. He, Jesus Christ is known as the word. And so that has a lot of implications. And John the Baptist testifies about Jesus and proclaims his preeminence. Um, talking about he was he, you know, I always existed and stuff like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um uh, he existed before I did, and he he kind of uses this spiritual kind of, um, uh, I guess, vernacular. I'm not sure the way you would put it. Yeah. But, um, Jesus calls his first disciples, including Andrew, Simon, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel. And so my first question is just what does divine nature mean? A lot of denominations kind of talk about one nature, two natures, you know, uh, and that's a huge kind of thing that people are talking about. Um I don't think it's a salvation issue what your theology is um, as far as getting into the, the weeds and stuff like that. But what does like divine nature mean? What does word made flesh mean? And yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So uh, I, I think to well, we'll get into the word made flesh in a second. But you had a question about divine nature. So yeah. Jesus Christ is both 100 percent man and he is 100 percent God. And so that's a very confusing concept for a lot of people. Yeah. So he is absolutely a human being. He had DNA just like you or I did. He lived a completely human life. He was born of a woman the same way that you or I would be. Uh, his conception was a little bit special. Uh, that's not something that we can claim. But his birth, uh, everything else that happened to him through his life was the same as what would happen to normal human beings. Okay, uh, He was mistreated by his friends and his family at home and... You know, just like everybody else is throughout their whole life. And so that's his human nature. His divine nature is that he is God. He existed before the world was created. He helped. He was there as part of the triune God. Uh, as part of, I don't even know if part of is the right word. But he was, he was there as the triune God creating the universe at the beginning of time. And so 
in the other three Gospels, if we had opened up with, with one of them, they provide an actual human genealogy of names that tell you where Jesus came from. Or sorry, two of the other three provide a, an actual genealogy of the names where uh, we can look back and we can trace back Jesus's genealogy all the way back to Adam. Uh, and And what we see in this one is that we don't get a genealogy that we would understand as a human genealogy. We are getting the genealogy of a divine being, of Jesus's divine nature. Hard to and wrap so your mind around, yeah. <laughs> it's not really a genealogy, because again, a genealogy implies that there was a point where this thing didn't exist and then it came into existence, right? Even with Adam, there was a point where Adam didn't exist and then God created him out of the dust, where Jesus, he always existed. He wasn't created in any way. He had a human body created for him, but he existed before that body. So what we see in verse 1, uh, chapter 1 of John is, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Okay? It's weird because the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it, is what the NLT says, too. So it's interesting. Like mm-hmm. how the, that's why I wanted to bring up another translation, too, because different translations kind of are trying to pr- portray the same thing, but they use different words. So mm-hmm. a lot of people say, like, the Bible's been translated. It's, like, losing the same meaning. And so I wanted to have, like, um, two different translations up right there so people can kind of see that. Yeah, and if you have an issue with the fact that the Bible has been translated, I mean, it has to be so you can read it. It wouldn't make sense for everyone to... Greek. <laughs> but not everybody can. And I mean, you know, no, no, not everybody has the ability to take that much time to do that. So, yeah, you need you need to... The Bible needed to be translated, and the translations that we have are incredibly, incredibly faithful, uh, especially some of the, the newer ones. They've been updated with older texts, so the the funny thing about the the KJV is it uh it's a very accurate translation to the texts of that that they that they had at the time but since that translation was done they've found older and older and older manuscripts and so we have fragments and pieces of the books of the bible going all the way back to i think there's certain parts of it are from 50 AD and that's really early on. I mean, Jesus was crucified around 33 AD. So to give you an idea, 33, wow. 37, depending on when you believe he was born. And so we have fragments of the original, you know, manuscript, not the original manuscripts, of of uh, fragments of... The Dead Sea Scrolls? So the Dead Sea Scrolls are a separate thing. I can go into those as well. But we have fragments of the New Testament dating back all the way to 50 AD. Not the original manuscripts. I, I may have misstepped and said that, but that's not what I was meaning to say. Uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls are even older. So the Dead Sea Scrolls were penned by a group of people around the same time as Jesus, maybe a little bit after. Uh, but what they do is they recorded the Old Testament. And so that's where we get a lot of the Old Testament uh, scrolls. The oldest Old Testament scrolls is from it was more, it was stuff from, from Isaiah. Them. It was like additional Isaiah stuff, huh? So they they have every book of the Bible, is my understanding. Uh, oh, wow, we we found every of the Old Testament, Old Testament oh, Bible, wow. not not the New Testament. 
Man, we got to jump into that sometime. That's yeah, cool. that'll be that'll be a good episode. We can do some like Bible history or something. Yeah, that sounds um, really cool. But yeah, so back to John. John starts off his genealogy as the genealogy of Jesus Christ as God, as as the uh, uncreated being who has always eternally existed, and that's who he wants to present Jesus as in his gospel, and so. We see Jesus presented in slightly different ways in each one of the Gospels, and that's why you see what look like to some people as, are as discrepancies. Um, so one of the things, uh, just since we're getting into the Gospels right now, I'm going to kind of start off with this. One of the things that you might see between different Gospels is one of one account will say there was, uh, this is a complete example, this is not real, but let's say that there is a verse that says there was two boxes uh in Jerusalem on this day, right? So there's a scene, Jesus Christ gets up, he's standing, and it's a soapbox. So there's two soapboxes. One person could have stood on the other, another person could have stood on the other. And so one gospel might say, so Jesus got up and stood on one of the two soapboxes and gave his sermon. Another gospel might say, Jesus got up on a soapbox and gave his sermon that day. Is there a conflict between those two different passages they're just not completely identical but no there's not a conflict yeah exactly so they're they're not identically written but there is no factual conflict between those two uh between those two passages and so what we'll see in the new testament are variations and more complicated versions of that so um yeah so they like if somebody uh, uh, commissioned both of us to paint something there's going to be variations and and like if you said hey paint a school bus and me and you try to do that we're going to have variations in how we paint that school bus exactly you know I mean? so... but it, and it but it would be two different scenes if one of us had a green school bus and one of us had a yellow school bus that's what we yeah, won't I'm see sure we're go- I'm you sure won't... we're both going for the yellow yeah <laughs> but but you see what i'm saying like the school bus that we draw is going to have four is going to have however many wheels we could see from our viewpoint right if we see all four wheels we might draw all four all four wheels because we're looking at it from the bottom somehow but does you see what i'm saying so like you can draw the same object from multiple different angles and it looks completely different and so if you find a discrepancy in the new testament especially the gospels that's likely the case is what's happening is it's the same scene or it's a similar scene from one of the Gospels that's being talked about in another one of the Gospels slightly differently. And so you'll see atheists and other people bring that up as a reason why the Bible is inconsistent, why the Bible has errors, and that's just not the case. A lot, Every one of these, to my knowledge, has been worked through and worked out in, in a very easy way to show how that could have totally been the case. So Okay. Uh, all right yeah uh anything else you, you had any more questions or uh what are we where are we at with uh no i kind of want to i kind of want to just read that little paragraph um uh, he came into the world he created jesus or god as jesus christ right um god came into the world that he created but he but the world didn't recognize him like they didn't realize this is god in the flesh 
He came to his own people and they rejected him. The Jewish people. He's Jewish. And he came to his own people and they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, even Gentiles, he gave the right to become children of God. Whoever would believe that he is God or he is Messiah, right? They are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from, um, from human passion or plan, but from a birth that comes from God. As in you are born again when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And then you will later see when he talks to Nicodemus, he doesn't understand this. And so... Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that that was this chapter one, and uh, I, I, I'm like, I can't talk. All right. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, before we move on from chapter one, I want to talk a little bit about John. Um, yeah. So, Baptist. yeah, John the he's called John the Baptist. Uh, growing up at, in a Baptist church, we really liked that title. <laughs> this is also not John, um, the author of the gospel, by the way. Yes. So that's that's why he's given a different title. Uh, and why he's called John the Baptist. Uh, the reason he's called John the Baptist is because he goes around baptizing people in the Jordan River. Um, wow. And so he baptizes, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll read about that. But um, so he's, so what we see is that uh, in cha in chapter one, verse six, there was a man sent from God. Who Did, we, did you read this? I'm sorry. I did not. Uh, you okay. Read it. Yeah, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name... Who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. Okay, so what this is saying is that there was an order of operations by which Jesus had to enter into the world and had to enter into his uh, into his ministry, and the person that had to come before him was John. And so we see in another gospel that this John character is actually his cousin. At the same time that, uh, or sorry, shortly before Jesus was conceived, uh, this person, John the Baptist, was conceived. And uh, that's a whole cool story that is found in another gospel. So we'll get to that. His mother's womb when mm -hmm. Jesus comes around in his own, in Mary's womb. It was crazy. As, as kind of a callback to uh, to the abortion topic, this is an, uh, his life, what, what uh, Austin just mentioned about him jumping in his mother's womb is showing that that children even in the womb can have an understanding of the environment that they're in what's going on around them mm -hmm. yeah that's so nuts. and so you know the first person to ever recognize Jesus Christ and give him his due is John the Baptist in his mother's womb okay and so he knows somehow that that baby in that mother's womb somehow knew that he was in the presence of Jesus Christ and was jumping for joy over it, right? That's that's incredible, the, the information we get from that. That's so we'll, we'll have to go over that some other time. Um, you say, like, what you say, like, if you're cussing around your pregnant wife, that your baby can hear that, and it plays on their psychology and stuff like that. I don't know if that's true or not, but that this is almost kind of like saying that, like, babies know. They're, they under, they're know, like, you know. Uh, kind of on a tangent, the, the way that I would describe how... Uh, I believe that infants form and develop, and this isn't biblical, so don't, this is not my biblical analysis, 
But uh, I would suggest that it's a lot like training a uh, large language model. So like chat GPT, the way that that gets trained is you have a whole bunch of data that you feed into it. And then it does a semi-mystical process of analyzing that data and then coming to a conclusion where it can actually answer you. I think it's actually pretty similar what, what little baby humans are doing is they're taking in a whole lot of data, synthesizing that data, and trying oh, to make it into something so usable in reality. Make sure the data that they get to receive is good data is kind of what you're saying. <laughs> to, yeah, and to bring that into a biblical perspective, that's why you know it's so important that you be training up your children in the way that they should go from the very beginning. And so you need to be modeling how to be a, a faithful parent and how to be a Christian parent to your child the entire time that they're alive. They're soaking up information and trying to make sense of the world. You should It's your job to make that information as godly and as Christ-centered as it can be so that that's the basis. It's kind of like you're building an operating system for a human, right? Like that's the base, the basis that you want your human being that little human being you created to point at is Jesus. And so that's where you need to be pointed so you can show them how to do it. Yeah. So sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah. A little bit All of a tangent right. there. Um, but yeah, so I, I just wanted to bring up John. Uh, so again, he's a character in the Bible that uh, a lot of people get confused with different. There's a lot of Johns. It was a very common name at the time. Uh, so, but John the Baptist is related to Jesus. He's his cousin and he came in and was kind of like a herald that was preparing the way uh, for Jesus Christ to come in and to start his ministry. And so in another portion of scripture, it kind of describes John as sort of the end of the Old Testament. So he's kind of the end of the, the people, uh, kind of like the last prophet. That's the word I was looking <laughs> for. Thank you. Uh, so he's kind of described as the last prophet of the Old Testament. And then once his story finishes, Jesus can enter in and kind of start off the New Testament from there. Uh, so you'll see some preachers, uh, I believe Chuck Missler is where I get this from. Uh, that's what he basically describes in kind of a joking manner, that uh, John was the last prophet and that the Old Testament ends with the end of his story. So I think, doesn't Jesus say if you can accept his teaching, then he is Elijah that was to come? Like, didn't he say something like that? That's possible. Uh, I'm not going to quote that right now at the, off the top of my head because I don't remember it specifically, but that sounds correct. It might have been something in the epistles. I just remember hearing this, that like um, he he basically filled all the, the hallmarks of the, the Elijah that was supposed to come. And like, yeah, it was interesting. He was supposed to, because like you see that earlier in the chapter when it says like, um, I am the voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way the straight of the Lord, or the prepare the path, make straight the path of the Lord and stuff like that. I think mm -hmm. Elijah was supposed to do those things. And so, like, and that's why they were asking him, are you Elijah? And he's like, no. <laughs> so it was, just, <laughs> it was just interesting. But yeah. So there's a couple more things to cover in this um, in this first chapter, I think. Oh, okay. Um, we've got the testimony of John the Baptist when they basically um, come and ask him who he is, right? The Pharisees and Jewish leaders come, and the priests ask him, like, hey, who are you? And he came right out and said, I'm not the Messiah. Well, then who are you? They asked, are you Elijah? No. He replied, are you the prophet we are expecting, which is Jesus? No. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. So basically, he was baptizing people in the, the Jordan River, and people are coming, and they want to know, like, who are you? Like, why are you doing this? And all this kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, that's that's kind of what was going on in there. Um, you can stop me anytime you want to talk about anything. But this is a huge part. This um, There's this uh, phrase here 
And he goes, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? So they were kind of religious in their... Um, is, that a, is that in chapter 2? This is in chapter 1, uh, verse 25. Oh, okay, sorry. So, um, uh, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? And John told them, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone who you do not recognize. Um, earlier in John 1, he was uh, in the beginning of the chapter, he said, but his people did not even recognize him. So this is kind of a callback to that, you know. And though through his ministry, uh, though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy, worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. Now, this is the NLT. It, it reads different in um, other translations. And the, this encounter took place in Bethany and all that kind of other stuff. And that was that was that. Right. And so this is then we move on to Jesus being the Lamb of God which is a callback to like why the Jews were sacrificing in the first place. So God demanded a blood sacrifice to cover sins. And that's why it was necessary that Jesus, God himself, came and lived a perfect life so he could offer his blood as a sacrifice for our sins, as mm -hmm. a permanent sacrifice. It's not any, so, it's not some goat or a lamb. <laughs> go for it. Go yeah. For it. So just, you know, it's kind of a uh, an intro introduction to you know, why Why is he being called the Lamb of God? You know, that's kind of a weird title, right? And yeah, yeah. What, that's, what that's pointing to is back to the Exodus. And so in the Exodus story, this is just after Joseph. We we kind of covered that in Genesis. So just We're after... Exodus. Yes. <laughs> it's so, good. so just after Genesis, the, the, the people of... of uh, the, the Israelite people have left Egypt. They, they're becoming a nation. And... Uh, sorry, they haven't left Egypt yet, so they're still in Egypt. They're they're having all of the plagues, uh, done to them because of their their the sins that they've committed against the Israelites, and one of those plagues, the final one, is uh what the Jews call the Passover, and so the what happened to the Egyptians is every single uh, uh of the uh oldest male children in Egypt ends up being destroyed by an angel, okay? And so what we see happen throughout the entire kingdom of Egypt is that all of the firstborn children end up dying overnight unless they, uh, unless the people sacrificed a lamb and took that lamb's blood and brushed it onto the uh, doorpost around their door. And so that That's was a, a signal... That was only the Hebrew people. Only they put their faith in the Lord thy God. And they were the only ones mm -hmm. in the whole country of Egypt that put the blood on the doorpost and on the hinges and stuff like that. So that's yep. you know, coincidence. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, only ones that we're aware of. So I, you know, right. I, I, I'm yeah. not going to say that there weren't Egyptians that decided to join in. We don't see that in scripture. I hope so. Uh, I hope there awesome. were. I don't think I don't think there were. Uh, I don't. I hope it, but the Bible would document something like that, you know, or it, it usually it like usually that. does. It usually does, yeah. but there could be reasons why it didn't. Um, so you know, I'm not going to make any claims that there wasn't a single Egyptian that that didn't sacrifice a lamb and put that on its door. Uh, probably not, but who knows? Um, so uh, they what had their we own see, pantheon, so yeah, yeah, well. The, actually, the interesting thing there is there there might have been some faithful Egyptians at some point. So if you look at – well, yeah, because of Joseph and, and the Pharaoh. They, I mean, Pharaoh literally put him uh, a, a monotheist as his second in command of the whole thing, right? 
And so he at the very least respected his religious beliefs to the point where he still trusted him. And then, you know, it's possible that that Pharaoh might have had some faith in God himself. I don't know. You know, that's not recorded, but it's possible. And so that, you know, back to this Passover. So the Passover meal, there's a lamb that you have to brutally sacrifice blood, blood, blood everywhere. You sacrifice the lamb. You take that blood you with some hyssop and you splatter it on your uh, doorpost. And then that's, that protects you from this angel coming through the entirety of Egypt and just brutally d- destroying the firstborn of every single household. What are your theories? Is this an angel or a demon? What are your, what's your oh, it's an angel. It's being commanded oh, okay. by God. Like this is a, oh, okay, okay. Uh, so we like to like think of, or something? well, I, I couldn't begin to tell you what kind of an angel it is. It might say in the text, uh, the it is called, the angel is called the destroyer. And what we what we don't understand is as modern day American Christians is we see all these angels that are like cherubs that are floating around little babies that little are wearing babies. diapers and have a you know a, a silly little Cupids. bow, okay? That's not the that's not what an angel is. There isn't a single angel that looks anything like that. That's a complete fabrication of of society in between what you know and uh, what it was real written. gnarly looking. Yeah. So angels, there's a few different descriptions. Uh, a lot of times they show up and they look human, like human beings. Uh, they show up, they physically eat with Abraham at one point. That's nuts. So they are physical beings. They have bodies, but they also have weird forms where they look like wheels within wheels and all sorts of crazy stuff. So an angel could be a, a number of different things that all fits, you know, uh, you know, so... I don't know exactly what it was, but, uh, yeah. So I, I know it wasn't a demon. It wasn't a demon. It was being directly commanded by God. It was following God's commands. And what we don't understand is that there is a book of the war of the Lord, the wars, plural of the Lord. Okay. So this is a book that's mentioned later on in the old Testament that we have lost to history, but there, there was a book of, a list of all of the different military actions that the Israelites had done under the Lord's command. Okay. And I can't even imagine what might be contained in that book. The, the miracles, the, the destroyer coming in and just wiping out armies. I mean, we, we see pictures of it it in in Joshua. Yeah. You get glimpses of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just just march around in a circle. Watch, just watch. And the walls come crumbling down. Exactly. you best believe if you had spiritual eyes to see that there was some angels going on and they just snapped their fingers and it all come crumbling down like, oh, man, that's mm-hmm. just crazy. Well, and, and <laughs> a different authority that God has here on Earth. We just don't get to see it with our eyes, what he's capable of. Exactly. Probably just fall and the, and the wall falls. <laughs> yep. And so, you know, uh, we were kind of digressing again, again from the, the Passover. So the Passover was this ceremony that the Israelites performed. And they were doing it as a foreshadow of Jesus Christ all the way back in Exodus. And so this is thousands of years before Jesus is ultimately born. And the Jews have been instructed to do this ceremony in such a way that it will uh, kind of prophesy the coming of Jesus Christ later on uh, in the history of man. And so, you know, it's, it's 
that's why he's called the Lamb of God is to show you that he is that picture. He is that sacrifice that will be made so that we can have the remission of our sins, so that we can be passed over by God. And so, and the other funny thing is that's the ceremony. The Passover is where, is, is the meal. That's the last meal that Jesus eats. Okay. And so you oh, wow. look at this Passover ceremony, the whole thing is symbolic. Okay, you, they eat bitter herbs to symbolize yeah. the bitterness of their journey or, or something. I'm not going to quote it because yeah. I don't know it yeah. specifically, but they, they have all they're, of these symbolic... The oppression in Egypt. That's why they did that or something like that. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're bitter oppression, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they have these different parts of the meal that are all highly symbolic. Every single one has a meaning behind it. Bread. They yeah. make sure that, yep. They didn't, and that meaning was because they didn't have time. They had to just get their stuff and go. Mm-hmm. And like, so the, yeah, you're right. Everything okay. does have, yeah. And, and so ultimately, the, there is a certain number, there is a certain number of cups that you take throughout the meal. So uh, it's basically just like there's, there's four drinks that they, that get served to uh, the different participants in the Passover meal. And what we see is that when Jesus uh, in the Passover that we see in the Gospels is he takes the, the third of those four cups and he says that is the one that we should now symbolize instead of it being and holding the symbolic meaning that it had to the Jews. This is the real symbolic meaning. This is my blood that has been poured out as a sacrifice for you. Right. And then he drinks oh, it wow. Do this in remembrance Some super of me. Revelation. Oh, wow. And so. That's... So Jesus, but if we look at it, the Catholic context would say that that meal has always been them making Jesus's, uh, the, the lamb's body into Jesus and everything else. When that's just not Even the case, Exodus? I, they, they wouldn't say that. Let me, let me restate that. A Catholic would not say those words, but that's what they have to believe. If the, if they're saying that now symbolically, now when Jesus says eat, my body and drink my blood that's now a literal now it's literal but the ceremony was symbolic for thousands of years before that that uh, do you see what, do you see what i'm saying okay. like what okay. are the, what are you saying that it's always been literal that they were literally eating jesus back two thousand years ago or, or four thousand years ago now or yeah. are you saying that it got changed and it was symbolic before and now it's literal it does it's it's an inconsistency in the catholic tradition that doesn't make sense so what the reality is is that this is a spiritual thing that we do as a rem- as a symbolic remembrance of the sacrifice that Jesus made one time for all. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I just kind of wanted to point that out as uh, a connection here. So like when the when the text uses terms like Lamb of God, it's telling you as a as a reader to look back at the Old Testament uses of those terms and find out what they meant to the Old, Old Testament. Testament. And so, yeah. uh, it, it it it's supposed to be used here as a way to make it easier for people to understand. But because of our biblical illiteracy today, it actually makes it harder. So if I'm yeah. getting up in a synagogue and I'm reading John in you know thirty in forty A.D. if it was written by then. If I'm getting up and I'm reading John and I start talking about the Lamb of God, my Jewish listeners are going to understand who I'm talking about. And they're yeah. they're either going to see it as complete blasphemy, or if they're Christians, they'll be awoken to the, the voice of the God. sacrifice of God is what you're saying. It's like, yeah, it's yeah. pretty interesting. 
So uh, uh, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but uh, I hope that was a little, I hope that was enlightening to everybody. Uh, so, we can move. yeah, basically, um, John um, he is uh, in- baptizing people in the Jordan River, and the next day. Uh, John sees Jesus coming toward him and tells his disciples, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because in the Jewish times, you had to sacrifice a, a lamb without blemish to cover the sins of your family. And each head mm-hmm. of the household had to do that. So he is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. He understood that though he is in a human body, he existed way, he's God, he existed way before I did. And so, and John might have even been a little bit older or something. So, I don't know, or it doesn't matter, right? Um, I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing, um, let me read that again. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Um, Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. So he saw this supernatural event happen. He literally saw the Holy Spirit. This was before Pentecost. This is before, like, Holy Spirit is not doing a lot, like, like, you know what I mean? Like, he got to see this, right? You know what I mean? Like, you were saying in the Mm -hmm. Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came and went. He would would fall on some kings here and there. And, And David was really, like, upset when the Holy Spirit would leave. He would ask for it back from God in his Psalms and stuff like that, right? Or do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And so it's, um, you know, then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one. But when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one whom you see, the Spirit descend and rest is, wait, I can't read that. The one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. This is some concept like this is a whole new concept right i saw this happen to jesus so i testify that he is the chosen one sent of god this is why it's important that you read the gospels because this person is saying look i saw this supernatural event god told me go baptize at the river you're going to see the lamb of god and the spirit of god the holy spirit's going to descend on him and when you see him that happened to this person that's going to be the one and john is saying okay i saw that happen just like god said and it happened to jesus so i testify that he is the one chosen one of god so basically this is all a testimony and this is a testimony inside a testimony so this is really cool too <laughs> um <laughs> the first disciples these are the first people that ended up following jesus um uh, so the, the following day, Jesus or John was again standing on the uh, with his two disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, "Look, there's the Lamb of God." When his two disciples heard this, they stopped following John and they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. "What do you want?" he asked them. They replied, "Rabbi," which means teacher. "Where are you staying?" They kind of just, yeah, they just. He must have been so intriguing. Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went to see him in the place that he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. And so it was Andrew, Simon Peter. Um, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of those men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. And so we get to see here what's going on with the first disciples. You should go ahead and read it. And I think um, we'll go ahead and there's a lot of cool stuff. I can read this if you want me to, Ryan, but we can also move right on into chapter two. Um. Yeah, so, you know, I think I'll just comment on it and say that, like, it's interesting to see the the variety of people that Jesus ends up calling. Uh, a lot of them are going to be fishermen. Um, uh, another one of them, a couple of them are going to be zealots. So think modern-day Antifa, 
Like, oh, okay. they were literally they were literally trying to bring down the Roman government uh, as like, like terrorists. <laughs> yeah, okay. like somewhere between a coup and terrorists is essentially okay. what they were. So uh, we radicals. see that definitely radicals. Uh, so we see that, and then we also see a tax collector who is a Jewish person who sold out to the Romans and is now taxing people, is ripping off his people for the Romans. So we have people that are trying to. Traitor. So you have so you have people that are trying to kill each other within the the disciples of Jesus Christ. If oh, out, so, like out, literally, if these two people had met each other on the streets, they would have gotten into a fight, and one of them might have ended up dead potentially. Like legitimately that's a possibility because there's a high chance that that tax collector in his circle ripped off all those people that are there. well it, it's not even a good chance it's it, number one the the zealots always a hundred percent of the time saw tax collectors as traitors to their people yeah okay there was not there was not even if he hadn't directly ripped him off he knew that he had ripped off one of his fellow countrymen who they all considered brothers because the Jewish people cons basically all consider each other brothers. They're all family, yeah. Yeah. And so, we should all you know, it, 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 it's, a, it's a picture of how Christ's church is going to look always, right? There's always going to be people of drastically different circumstances sitting in pews next to each other. That's, that's the proper functioning of a church is to bring together the disparate members of, of the body of Christ so that we can come together and commune together and, and do yeah, the work that God's provided people. for us. Mm -hmm. It's not just for these groups of people. Like it's um, yeah. Well, and that's the other thing, like the Bible in no, nowhere in the Bible does it say that there is such a thing as multiple races. There is one race. That's the human race and everything else that we do to separate each other is isn't right it's not correct we're even all really from the same family uh but the bible does describe there as being multiple different families but you know at the end of the day christianity and 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 god 100 percent of the time treats human beings as human beings and and as of part of the same group and of equal worth. from one of noah's kids right <laughs> shem ham or japheth yep <laughs> great uh, million time grandparents exactly so uh, we can move on to chapter two. I just wanted to to, to mention a little bit, like just how in incredible it is that that Jesus actually went and chose these real men to serve him, and and they weren't anything special either. It's not like he went to the the Pharisees and the rabbis and the the important people, the scholars the of the time. Yeah. He went to the you know fishermen. They they were the the lowest of the low with the least the least training, the least understanding, the least knowledge. And, you know, he basically takes them in and, and starts empowering them to go out and to, to spread his gospel pretty quickly, right? It's not like yeah. they have to go to a seminary. They don't have to, you know, so they they just start doing what God commands them to do as he commands them to do it. And I think that's kind of a picture of what we're supposed to do. Obviously, we yeah. don't have Jesus physically with us anymore, but we have an even greater guide, and that is the Holy Spirit as we mentioned earlier. So, all right. Yeah. We're going to move on to chapter two. Chapter two. So the NLT gives you, so where the Bible would give you some, um, and some measurements from antiquity, the NLT will try to give you a rough um, idea of what some sizes are. So you'll see that later in this chapter. And I'm going to read this paragraph or okay. I'm just going to kind of give parts of the paragraph. So this is where the first miracle um, happens in like 
this gospel. So chapter 2, Jesus performs his first miracle at the wedding in Cana, turning water into wine. He cleanses the temple in Jerusalem, driving out the merchants and money changers. And Jesus speaks of his future resurrection, about the temple being destroyed, and many believe in him. So going through this really quick, um, there is a wedding at Cana, and basically uh, the wine supply runs out. And Jesus' mom, Mary, comes up and basically wants to tell Jesus about this. And it's interesting because this is his first miracle ever performed, to my knowledge. And um, I've heard a, a sermon basically say, so at this point, Jesus, uh, Mary had been con talking to everybody and saying, no, this was an immaculate conception. Look, the, like, like Jesus is, like, do you imagine what she was trying to convey to people about Jesus' nature? Like, look, you, do you know what I mean? At so I... Like, if we want to talk, I don't know what the sermon was saying exactly, but if we want to talk about what Mary and what Jesus and Joseph and all of them would have been saying about all this, they would have been trying to keep it as quiet as possible. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Well, so one of the things that we can, I'm fairly certain we can uh, glean from the text is Jesus for his entire life, he was called a bastard. Okay. And, and that wasn't the that wasn't the clean word that I can use streaming today. That was like a horrible, one of the worst insults that you could possibly use against Why someone. That? Why did they call him that? Because he was. <laughs> is, it, is it because um, he, they he, knew that Joseph had not known Mary at the time? Or that, like, that's what? what he claimed. That's what Joseph claimed. Like if anybody asked, oh. they weren't going to lie to him. But they weren't trying to broadcast that. But it was, but uh, it, it's intimated like the, the, especially the KJV, it uses language that's a little confusing when it's talking about the insults that the Pharisees were hurling at Jesus. So I think that they that the the translators for the KJV, um, they they took so high of a regard for Jesus Christ that they couldn't bring themselves to translate properly the insults oh, wow. that these that these uh, felt wrong to them to even write. <laughs> that that's pure speculation on my part pure speculation but i think that's right. where it comes from because they they they'll uh they'll use euphemisms for things like they won't use the word bastard they'll use a euphemism for bastard instead for that translation where that makes sense what the actual angry mob of people that hate him and want him murdered are yelling is bastard but the kjv you know it's it's something like they it's it's some right. soft and softened language like Sending a man who didn't it, yeah. know his they called him a man who didn't know his his father <laughs> you know something like that <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah like so what okay so what i was trying to get across here was that um mary must have been uh, what the sermon said was she must have been excited for jesus to show who he was at this point like right so Basically, um, and that's speculation, right? But the, that's just what the sermon was saying. And I thought that mm -hmm. was interesting. But they, yeah. they have no more wine. Dear woman, that is not our problem. And so you see this word woman being used. And in modern times, it's kind of like a derogatory term. It's kind of like saying ma'am back in the day, I would I would assume, <laughs> right? It's not like some, he, I wouldn't call his mom like woman, like like talking down to her or anything like that, right? That's, but I, I've just seen that. And it's always like struck me because like, we don't we try to not call women like refer to them like uh hey woman like you know what i mean like that's kind of like weird yeah. bad it, and stuff i, I think <laughs> it is kind of being used in a way that we would deem derogatory as derogatory i don't think jesus was using it in a derogatory manner but if you look at the proper roles of men and women 
especially the way that the Bible set it up, men are supposed to be in more leadership roles and women are supposed to be in more subservient roles, okay? And so when Jesus was talking to his mother there, she's asking him to do something. It, it would be like... It, it was, it was she was asking him to do something that wasn't exactly 100% proper for her to do. And so when he said woman, he's like, you're a woman. Why, you know, why are you asking me a man to do this a little bit? Maybe I don't want I don't want to blaspheme. Of course, I don't think he was doing it in a sinful way. But the, the, the there are roles and there are proper roles for men and for women. And and, you know, the, I think that's what he's being conveyed here is that that's slightly her role oh, wasn't to ask him to start doing miracles right there. That wasn't her. Huh. Pr- that wasn't her place. He ends up doing it because whatever reasons there are, right? But it didn't. I don't think it was a hundred percent appropriate. I, I again, I could be reading into that. I, I hope that you write in if you have any other opinions or thoughts on that. Yeah, write it in um, the comments. Text us. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and of course, the last thing I want to do is say anything blasphemous. So. If you think that's the case, please write it in with with some verses as a reference. We're trying to honor the Lord, especially mm-hmm. through His Word, and be as accurate and transparent as possible. So that's what we're trying yeah. to do about. Anyway, dear so. woman, that's not our problem. Jesus replied, "My time has not yet come." So he he's trying to say here, like, look, um, um, we're gonna do something, but it's not yet. And so it, it's it's just interesting. And like, but his um, but his mother told the servants, "Do whatever he tells you." And so. Th- that's pretty interesting too he just gets told hey it's not our time yet and then she's like all right we'll do whatever he tells you and then uh standing nearby were some jars used for jewish ceremonial washing this is where the nlt gives you kind of like a modern um size here each could hold 20 or 30 gallons and so what is it saying on the other one uh one of your 30 uh, gallons water six water pots 23 gallons on both of them Mm -hmm. interesting okay all right, and Jesus told the uh, servants, "Fill the jars with what's up." So, uh, just to, so in in other places there will be actual unit differences. I would it's... imagine, I would <laughs> imagine that there is that the reason they're using gallons in both of these is that gallon is the. Uh, I don't think a gallon may be a unit of measurement that's that's like older than we think. So it might have been kind of an equivalent to a gallon. Uh, then, huh? So Jesus told the servants, "Fill the jars with water." When the jars had been filled, now this is six of these. That's twenty to thirty gallons each. Lots, lots of water. He said, "Now dip some out, and take it to the master of ceremonies." So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew. He called the bridegroom over, kind of making a toast or almost like a declaration. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine, but you have kept the best until now. Kind of saying, hey, we serve the cheap stuff first until you get a buzz, and then we'll bring out, like, the, or usually it's the other way around, right? Like, you you, you serve the, the good stuff first, and then they kind of get a little buzz, mm-hmm. and then you kind of switch it to some watered-down stuff, and people don't really notice because they're drinking. Yep. Like, but you have saved the best until now, so I can only imagine what the wine that Jesus made tasted like. Ooh. And then this is also a cool scientific thing yes. that I wanted to talk about. Yeah, go for it. I was about to say the same thing. I was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that, for that introduction. So 
yeah, I, I just wanted to use this story to say that a lot of people say that uh, that they believe that the Earth is billions of years old, and it's entirely possible that that's how God ended up creating the universe, and, and I'll, I'll give that to you, that that is a possibility. I believe, ultimately, that the Earth was created with the appearance of age, and let me explain that. So, this wine that we have right now, the best wine is old wine. We all know that. If you go and you buy a bottle Not of wine, old wine. <laughs> uh, it, it, the, the younger the wine, the cheaper it is, the older it is, the more expensive. And so the good wine is old wine. And even if it's brand new, new wine, it's still not young, okay? So even the freshest wine, if I were to go and test it, okay, a scientist, year, right? I, I believe so, at the very least a couple months, the fermentation process to turn sugars into alcohol takes a few months. And so, time. If, so if I'm a scientist today, I can go and I can measure certain things in wine and I could try to give you an idea of about how old I think that it is. And that may or may not be pretty close to the actual age of the wine. Now, scientists aren't doing this because that's not really a useful, a good use of their time, right? There's no reason to go and check the barrel of wine that you know has been there for 20 years to see if it's actually 20 years, right? But what, what... what I want to highlight is that if I'm coming through on this thing a lot, uh, on me. Yeah. Uh, so what I want to highlight is the fact that if this scientist was going to go and do a test on this wine, it would appear as if that wine was months to years old. Okay. Probably years and years old if it's the really good stuff. And so what I would suggest is that, Things need to things that look old in the the universe around us only look that way, and they were really created with the appearance of age, not to trick us, but they were created with the appearance of age because that's what it looks like to be fully functioning. Okay, so so you can make old things, so you can freshly make old things. That's what God is, can do. He can freshly I, make old things. That is what I am saying. I believe this scripture teaches us is that. When you make, when God makes something, he's going to make the best version of it, if Jesus is making it right, and it will look as if it has age, if it needs to, to function, right? So, if I have a special hammer, and the special hammer needs to have a special head, or it can't hit the special nail, right, I'm going to create the hammer to function and to work properly, and so, like with wine, it needs to look like it's aged in order to function. And so every test we could go do on it would come back and show that that wine is multiple years old. So that's... That would make, that would make sense. That's the one so thing I wanted to... call back to the earth, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I take this back to Genesis, and, and I go, when God's creating this world... Is he creating it fresh and new? And and if I go back and do a test on it, is it going to look like it was only 6,000 years old? No. He's creating it fully functioning, fully ready for us to come and inhabit it. Okay? And so it's and going to have... A timely process, yeah. Well, and so just like the uh, grape juice being turned into wine is a natural process that has... Back, not bacteria, but has microbes that accomplish that that task... Okay, 
the coal deposits under the earth that also might look like it came from organic material but god could have just placed it there ready for us to go find it so we can use it but the natural process that would create it uses biological material does that make sense so yeah. that's that's one thing that i think we can kind of glean from this passage now i'm not going to go and i'm not going to build huge piles of of uh uh you know my belief systems based on that right but it's one piece of evidence that leads me to believe that rather than it being a euphemism for evolution the beginning chapters in genesis are an actual description of how the universe was created okay so that's a it's a lot to pull out of just this little verse again i'm not going to base my entire belief system on this little interpretation here but it's something that i think is useful for people to know and a, a good way to think about things yeah so. okay this miraculous sign of Cana or Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So this must have been a really cool sight to see. Um, after the wedding, uh, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. And then then right at the end of this chapter, we've got um, Jesus clearing the temple. And this has some interesting significance that's actually kind of hard to, um, maybe not hard to understand, but there's some... There's actually an appropriate thing to grasp from this, right? So it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and do doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove them out. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers, coins all over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then the, the disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. And I think this is even like Psalm 69 that um, on your like steam thing. Passion mm -hmm. for God's house will consume me. But the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you, uh, if God gave you authority to do us, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. What they exclaimed, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you can rebuild it in three days. But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this and they both believed in the scriptures and what Jesus had said. So really going back to the money changer thing, there's more important stuff here and more significance here than um, that you'd kind of have to know from almost a historical sense. Do you can you give us a little bit more information about why Jesus was so upset that there were animals? Because when you go to Jerusalem yeah, so, to pay for your sins, don't you need animals? Don't you need all that stuff? So go ahead and take it away. Well, uh, let's let's get started there. So the entire function of a temple, especially I think all temples basically, but especially the Jewish temple was to sacrifice animals okay so what what god set up what god instituted all the way back in genesis is that for the covering of sins there must be the there, there must be blood that is shed okay and yeah. so we see that god uses uh animal skins to cover adam and eve in the garden and we see that the sacrifice that god accepts from cain uh, uh from cain is that of animals from and that he or sorry, except from a, yeah, 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 okay, sorry, you're right, from Abel, <laughs> um, that he accepts from Abel was, was the, the, uh, animal sacrifice, not the, the, 
produce that the vegetables that were sacrificed so um we see that that was instituted by god even before there was an israel so before there was even the first hebrew abraham there already was a sacrificial system that was instituted and so ultimately we see that pictured in the temple that physically gets built in jerusalem and so this structure at the center of it is a a physical area where there is the sacrifice of animals and so the priests are literally uh, slitting the throats of all these different animals and that is being offered up as a sacrifice to god in a number of different ways so that's the proper use of the temple that's why there needed to be a water source so that they could wash themselves and clean off all of this blood that's being spilled uh they needed certain bowls to have giant fires in so that they could burn a lot of these offerings, that sort of thing. And so what would happen is you would have to come in with your animals to be sacrificed. And so it used to be that the herdsmen that the Israelites were, they'd bring their animals into Jerusalem for all these different uh, ceremonies and all these different uh, uh, holidays. And, you'd then go to the temple and have it get sacrificed. But the problem is that these animals needed to meet a plethora of very specific things. Uh, so they had uh, criteria. They, they needed to meet a bunch of different, very specific criteria. And so they had to be unblemished. It couldn't have broken anything. It couldn't have been scratched before. You know, it, there's all sorts of different things that this animal needed to be inspected and needed to be perfect in. And so there was a whole system that they had to develop where priests came in and started inspecting animals before periods of great sacrifice. And so to get rid of all that, to just be like, you know what, we're not going to deal with any of these inspections. It's going to be easier for everybody if you just take your money and you come to the temple, or probably it started outside of the temple, but you come outside the temple, you buy the animal right then and there. It's already been inspected by a priest, <laughs> right? It's already gone through all the proper procedures. And so they just hand you the animal, you pay your two bits for it, and then you go into the temple and you sacrifice it. Well, over time, that process likely crept it didn't likely it ended up inside the actual temple and so now these money changers these greedy people have set up exclusive rights to be able to sell sacrificial animals in the temple and so in the court of the gentiles which is another mm -hmm. like layer on top of that yeah that's like so if you were not a jew the closest you could get into the temple, the deepest you could go was where all this was going on. It was where all the money was being exchanged, where all the animals were, all of it. That's where that's how you that was mm -hmm. your first impression of God as you walked into this temple. Well, it was your you only saw, it was sorry, it wasn't it wasn't your yeah. first. That was the only that was the closest you could get was this was this area, right? And, and it's still part of the temple. It's still supposed to be this holy place. It's not supposed to be this place filled with money changers and greed and and exclusivity yeah. and rights because like the, the the other issue is we that we don't understand as just casual readers of the new testament is there were kickbacks going to priests the the high priest had to allow all of this to be taking place in the temple so his hands had complicit. to yeah but i mean he's getting paid for it he's getting some amount of money from this the temple itself it might not be but he as a human being is likely taking 
uh, what we would basically see as a bribe in order to allow these money changers in there. So there's yeah. there's a whole host of horribly evil and corrupt things that are happening behind the scenes that that kind of play into why Jesus reacts the way that he ends up reacting. So I'm not going to say, I guess violently, he's using a whip, right? He's literally whipping people to get them and shooing them out of his, because what he sees it as is this is his temple. Like, this is his father's temple. And, you know, he, he reacts the proper way when he sees this, right? It's not improper yeah. to act violently when someone no, is doing something. It. Mm -hmm. He redeemed it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so that's that's how we should take the the sin in our heart. That's how we should treat the the sinful things that we do, the sins that we harbor in our heart, and and want to use that to offer up to God. Right? Like yeah. the 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 New Testament describes us as being the the temple of God. Our 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 ability to commune with Him is because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. So we don't need to do physical sacrifices in a physical temple anymore. We can have the sacrifice that jesus made applied in our own spiritual temple in our hearts yeah and so and we yeah. yeah and so we need to be going throughout our own heart our own mind and whipping whipping ourselves into shape we need to be driving out all of the sin that Take every that, thought captive yeah mm -hmm. and so you know i don't know that that 100 percent of what i just said is what we're supposed to get out of this story but i, I know that as Christians today in 2023, we don't get a lot of the symbolism that a Jewish person would have gotten from that reading it or see, hearing it read to them in the first century. And so there's a little that's... bit of historical context being kind of added to this so that you kind of have a flavor of it that isn't it's almost mm -hmm. not being conveyed here. You just yeah. see Jesus going in, seeing this happening, flipping tables and whipping people. And you're like, what's up, Jesus? Why are you upset? No, don't make my father's house a house of thieves. Like, what? The house of thieves? Well, are like, are they stealing in here? Like, what's going on? Like, I don't even understand. You don't really get that context. You know what I mean? So, well, and the the other crazy thing is, especially for kids growing up today, you know, you see the society around you crumbling. Okay, we don't take yeah. actual theft from Target seriously, much less somebody who who would even care if somebody went into a church and stole. What's even in a church to steal? But like, what Jesus sure. saw there. What Jesus saw in the temple, what was going on there, it was his responsibility to drive it out. And for yeah. us, like, we just don't, we, we see so much horrible stuff going on. You can steal $900 of my stuff. And in this state, nobody can even really do anything to you, right? Like, yeah. we see that. Yeah. Whereas in the ancient, in ancient times, we had a lot more respect for other people's property. The temple would have been revered as a place of complete, you know, so yeah, that it's just no, I, I, I I want to point this out to people in in California today where we literally are living on, in a lawless society. What Jesus did was right. Him going in and driving people out is what should be happening to those looters in in Target, right? Like those people should be getting driven out of there for less reasons than why Jesus was driving people out of the temple. Yeah, yeah. The, so um, you, you he honestly had, you know. He, passion for he, he loved his father so much and cared about uh what was going on so much that he righteously burned with anger towards the things that were going on just to make make some money mm -hmm. you know what i mean at the at the cost of the image of him and so like he yeah so it it was yeah that's what i <laughs> um I, say it. I know that it's uh it's one o'clock right now 
Uh, so if we had another couple things, is there anything else on this chapter you wanted to uh, point out? Let me, let I know that talks see. about Nicodemus here um, as well. So Nicodemus is an interesting chap that uh, I think will show up in different uh, Gospels as well. So yeah. uh, we'll talk about him um, uh, in a different in one of the different Gospels. I think that yeah, basically so finishes out the chapter. Yeah, I mean, right here it just says Jesus and Nicodemus, but because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began, many began to trust in him, but Jesus didn't trust them because he knew human nature. Um, no one needed to tell him what mankind was really like. And so then G uh, Jesus and Nicodemus are going to have a conversation in some um, following chapters, and that's when you hear uh, being born again, and that's where this term gets coined is, is there. And so I think we did. We hit our mark for our two hour, our two hour mark. Uh, I don't know exactly because we had that hiccup a while back. So uh, yeah, I'm it's sorry, fine, guys. If uh, yeah, bear with us during this this little journey today. <laughs> yep. But we'll get through it. We'll get through it. We're and, you know um, it's it's a learning learning thing every week. Learning learning a little bit more. Yeah. Um. All right, so let's go ahead and wrap it up. My name is Austin, and I'm right here social-wise on Faithful Dialogues, and you can find all of my stuff here on Faithful Dialogues if you wanted to catch any of my social stuff. Um, that's it as far as it goes right now. Um, I've co-founded Apostles Attic with my wife, Sky. It's a Christ-centered gospel message clothing line, so if you wanted to wear the gospel on your shirts, that's uh, what we, we're, we're trying to do with that clothing line, and you can find all of our stuff on ApostlesAddict.com. What about you, Ryan? Who are you? Oh, yeah, what do you got going on for you? <laughs> yeah, so my name is Ryan, and you can find all of my personal stuff at AIIW.org. Uh, so I've been doing some streaming over on TikTok, uh, just playing some video games, having some fun, talking about a little bit about God, answering some questions from people over there. Uh and uh yeah so that's what i've been doing um yeah thanks for joining us today we've had another wonderful episode of faithful dialogues I episode think. 10 that's a that's a huge uh landmark, yeah I think. <laughs> 10 episodes. double digits double digits yeah. <laughs> i remember All when right. you, if you're 10 years old that's a huge uh huge milestone so Good to yeah, mark if you look that. At episode one and two. Oh my, the 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 trend, the, how <laughs> far we've come just to this tenth episode. It's crazy looking at that progress. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Much better quality. Love the graphics again. Thank you to Sky, Austin's wonderful wife. We really appreciate all of the work that she puts in to help us out behind the scenes. So I just want to give her a shout out there. And uh, yeah, thank, thank you. you for all joining us. Remember, we have a number you can text us at that's 833-262-6431 uh, you can text us there any questions that you might have you can find us at linktree l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash faithful dialogues for all of our other social media we try to put these episodes up on a number of different places like i said we were streaming on twitch twitter youtube facebook and kick so check us out over there for our vods and I hope that you all have a wonderful week. Yes, Goodbye. have a wonderful week. See you later, you guys. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>